This is Take Care, a health and wellness show produced by WRVO Public Media. I'm Jason Smith. And I'm Catherine Loper. Tracy Mann is a professor of health and social psychology at the University of Minnesota. She's also principal investigator of the Mann Lab. It's a health and eating laboratory at the university and the subject of her book called Secrets from the Eating Lab, The Science of Weight Loss, The Myth of Willpower, and Why You Should Never Diet Again. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Before we get into the specifics about dieting, I want to touch on the history of it. Do you know when dieting became such a popular thing? Is it a recent phenomenon? I don't know that I know that, but I do know that there's been studies of whether diets work since at least the 1950s. So clearly dieting has been going on at least as long as that. We've all heard of some of the fad diets that have become popular over the years. I've heard of things like the grapefruit diet. I even read about a cabbage soup diet. But you've written an entire book based on the idea that diets just don't work. Why don't diets work? Well, diets do work in the short run. So on pretty much any diet, including those two crazy ones you just mentioned, people will lose weight. However, that weight almost always comes back on over time. And so that's why I say diets don't work. It's not really worth it to put yourself through the trouble of dieting if the weight's just gonna come back on anyway. So when diets eventually don't work, what is it? Is it the psychology of it or is it the biology of it that fails? It's some of each, but the biology plays a really big part in why diets fail. So if you go on a diet and you know, you're losing some weight and your body starts to detect that not enough calories are coming in, all these different changes happen and all those changes make it harder to keep dieting. Some of those changes have to do with your hormones. So calorie deprivation leads to hormone changes that make you feel hungry given the same amount of food that didn't used to make you still feel hungry. So if you're gonna feel hungry after eating what normally would make you feel full, it's gonna be harder to keep dieting. Just for one example. Another example, after you've been dieting for a while, your metabolism changes. And so what that means is you have to consume fewer calories than you were consuming at the beginning of your diet to lose weight. So if you keep eating what you were eating at the beginning of your diet, which worked, which led to weight loss, after a while, your metabolism will change and you'll stop losing weight given that same amount of calories. So that makes it really hard for a diet to keep working. We've read a lot about and you've written about a lot of the negative effects of dieting. Can you talk about some of those negative effects, whether they are psychological or physical? Sure. I mean, one important negative effect of dieting is that it actually leads to a physiological stress response. So restricting eating leads to the stress response and stress, as I think most people realize, leads to all kinds of negative health effects throughout your body. So if dieting leads to stress, that's a really big problem. That's also a big problem because stress has been shown to make it more likely that people will regain weight. So dieting is almost undermining itself by leading to stress, by leading to the stress response. Can dieting lead to more severe medical issues, things like anorexia and bulimia? This is a little bit controversial area and a little bit out of my area. I don't study eating disorders, but it's a tricky question to answer because clearly anorexia needs to start with weight loss, right? I mean, there's clearly going to be dieting in the beginning of it, but that doesn't mean dieting is a cause of anorexia. So I wouldn't want to say that exactly. Now there is evidence that repeated dieting can lead over time to binge eating. So that is a connection I'm, I'm more comfortable making. 
Well, you're one of many people to write books saying that diets don't work, but dieting is still incredibly popular and it's very big business. So I'm curious, why are diets still so popular? Is it this idea that if you just do this, you'll look better? Yes. I mean, diets are popular for a lot of reasons. One is that most people notice that you can lose weight on a diet. What people don't realize is that that tends to come back. So kind of the way people think is, oh, wow, I did this diet and I lost the weight. What a great diet. And then, wow, I blew it. I regained the weight. And somehow people blame themselves for the weight regain instead of blaming the diet, or as I think what they should blame is dieting itself leads to the weight coming back. But since most people blame the weight regain on themselves and give the credit for the weight loss to the diet, that makes people more likely to keep dieting again. They think, oh, this time I'll do it better. You know, this time I won't blow it and regain the weight. Another reason why people continue to diet is they think, you know, sure, diets fail for most people, but I'm going to be in that small minority for whom it does work. So, and you know, that's great that people are optimistic and hopeful and motivated, but, you know, most people are not going to be in that small minority for whom it works. And I guess one other thing that keeps people dieting is most people know somebody who lost a lot of weight and kept it off. So they have this vision in their mind that it's perhaps easier or more possible to do than it actually is. I'm curious, are there any positive aspects to dieting? Positive aspects to dieting. (laughs) Nothing's coming to mind. I mean, most people when they're on diets find it very unpleasant. Again, they find it stressful. They feel like they're missing out on foods other people are eating. It makes socializing more difficult at restaurants or parties. In my view, it's you're better off not dieting than dieting and instead just doing some generally healthy behaviors. What have you learned in the work in your lab that sort of informs your writing about diet? I mean, what we've basically discovered over the years is that it's very easy to mess up the self-control of a dieter. And in fact, I didn't originally study dieting. I studied self-control. And to understand how self-control works, you have to study cases where it fails. And what I learned pretty quickly early in my career is that there is no better place to study self-control failures than in the eating of dieters. It's just such a difficult self-control task for people to do. So it turns out to be very informative. So basically, we've learned that pretty much anything you do to a dieter messes them up. And over all this time, no matter how much my mother wanted me to find the secret to help dieters with self-control, I never found anything that made a dieter better at resisting some tempting food that's right in front of them. In addition to a lot of these fad diets, there are other ways that people are losing weight that have become very popular over the last couple of years. I'm thinking of things like keto and intermittent fasting. Are there benefits there or would you lump that in with dieting and that it just doesn't work in the long run? I do lump it in with dieting, although I will add that with the intermittent fasting, Those are new enough that we haven't seen long-term evidence whether or not they work. So I'm not going to go ahead and say they don't work in the long term because I haven't seen any data on that. Well, in your book, you mentioned that rather than losing weight to look better, that people should try to reach their what you call leanest livable weight. What do you mean by that? All I mean by that is 
the lowest weight you can be without going on any kind of diet, without doing any strict dieting. And so basically people's weight just wants to be in a certain range, what we think of as the set weight range. And to live below that range is really difficult. You have to heavily restrict your eating and watch it all the time. And I don't think that is a worthwhile thing for people to try to do, which is why instead I encourage them to live within that set range, but at the low end of it. And that low end, but within that set range is what I call the leanest livable weight. And the problem is that most people want to be thinner than that weight that I'm encouraging. People want to live below that set weight range. So I discourage that. Well, we've covered a lot about what doesn't work. Let's talk a little bit about what does work. If somebody is listening to this right now and they do want to lose a little bit of weight to get down to what you call that leanest livable weight, what are some things that they can do? What are some strategies that they could follow? Because a lot of it is psychological, right? Sure. And I mean, these strategies are aimed at exactly what you said, at losing just a little bit of weight. You know, it's just stabilizing it, getting yourself within the range your body wants to be, but just at that lower end within that range. And so my absolute favorite strategy for this is what I call veggies first, which means that you eat a vegetable before you put any other food out on your table or on your plate. And the reason for that is that for most people, vegetables aren't as tempting and they're not considered as delicious as certain unhealthier foods, right? So if you have your vegetable on your plate next to the pasta, very likely you're going to ignore or eat less of that vegetable than you would if that pasta weren't there. So this strategy came about as a way to put vegetable eating into a competition it could win. And the competition a vegetable can win is vegetable versus nothing or vegetable versus going hungry. So we encourage people, and this works great with children, just bring out the vegetable before the rest of the meal, sit around nibbling on the vegetable. Everyone will eat more of it than if it just shows up as part of the meal. So that's my number one favorite strategy. And we've tested that in many different circumstances, and it works great. It almost seems as if it's almost like a little bit of you're kind of tricking your own mind into it. Is that part of it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, also, I mean, I'm a social psychologist. I believe a lot about the circumstances and aspects of your circumstances mattering. And part of the circumstances is that battle that any food is in against other foods that are out there. So if we can change that circumstance, it helps us without us needing to really think it through very much. You know, so set out the vegetable ahead and don't worry about it. You don't have to think anything else about it. It's just there, and when it's there and you're hungry, you'll eat it. And when you eat it, you're going to eat less of something else. As part of that strategy, one of the other things I read, use smaller plates when you're eating so that you don't put as much food on the plate. Do these strategies also work if you do lose a little bit of weight and you get to that leanest livable weight and you want to stay at that weight? Are there separate strategies for that, or is it all kind of part of the same thing? It's all part of the same thing. I mean, when you're at your leanest livable weight, you're at a weight your body wants you at because you're in that range. So it shouldn't be that hard to stay there if you, again, do sensible healthy eating, which does not mean calorie restriction with the goal of weight loss. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, happy to talk.